What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptised into Christ Jesus was baptised into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness." For sin no longer will be your master because you are under, not under law but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? By no means. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? whether you're slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. I am using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity and to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness, leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? Those things result in death. But now that if you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thanks, Carl. Well, uh, there are... Have I turned that on? I have. That's all right. Um, There are a few privileges, I think, of uh, completing a PhD, but uh, one of the rare joys... uh, (laughs) Was uh, was booking onto uh, the flight, you know, as doctor, uh, <laughs> uh, and uh, and and coming aboard yesterday. Welcome aboard, Doctor Dinick. <laughs> Thank you very much. Yes, uh, I was just I'm just a little bit panicked that one day someone's going to have a heart attack and they're going to say, <laughs> Doctor Dinick, can you please help us? Step aside and I'll give you a close reading of the text. Uh, but no. Uh, well, we'll do that now. We'll do a close reading of the text now. If anyone has a heart attack, we'll call on someone else. But uh, let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, that you love us and that you have loved us in Jesus Christ, uh, in his death and his resurrection. Uh, and also in your Holy Spirit, whom you have poured out on those uh, in Christ. And we ask now that you would work in us through your Holy Spirit, that you would open our hearts to receive your words, to take them to heart, to believe them, and to put our trust in you. We ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen. I'm often struck by, by how easy it is to be misunderstood or how easy it is to misunderstand other people. I don't know if you've ever had that experience where you're organising some family activity and you arrive and two people arrive, both with the salad. Uh, and you go, I thought I was bringing salad. No, 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 Tom was bringing salad. You were supposed to bring the drinks. Uh, and at the time, it can seem like a, seem like a world-ending catastrophe, right? Oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? We're never going to be able to go on. Uh, and yet, uh, a moment's rationality teaches us that... Uh, It's not that serious of a misunderstanding. And yet, misunderstanding and miscommunication can be genuinely catastrophic, can't they? Uh, So, an ambulance is sent to the wrong address because of a miscommunication. Uh, Or in times of war, uh, the wrong target is bombed because of the wrong coordinates. It often happens because we're in a hurry... Uh, or we think that we've heard and we haven't. And just like we can mishear and misunderstand people, we can also mishear and misunderstand God as well. And we can mishear and misunderstand the gospel. We hear a snippet and we think, yep, I've totally got this. I totally understand what God is saying to me. And yet, actually, we're completely off beam. And here in Romans 6, Paul is countering two common misunderstandings uh, or misrepresentations of the gospel. The first misunderstanding is related to the nature of God's grace in the gospel. And the second misunderstanding is related to the relationship between grace and the pursuit of holiness. So in Romans chapter 6, Paul is carrying on from what he uh, said at the end of chapter 5. In chapter 5 verse 20 he says, The law was brought in so that trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
Paul's point was that the good news of the gospel is that no matter how perverse our sin is, it's matched by God's grace. God's grace is always more abundant and more powerful than our sin. But now in chapter 6, he's addressing, if you like, a perversion of that idea. He says in verse 1, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? That is, if God's grace always grows to overcome our sin, then why don't we just keep sinning so that we can receive more and more of God's grace? Surely that's the arithmetic, the mathematics uh, that we can use. But Paul says, no, we can't do that. Because to think like that actually fundamentally misunderstands the gospel. It misunderstands the gospel and God's grace for two reasons. First, because... God's purpose is that in Christ we might die to sin. So look at verse 2. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? To be baptized into Jesus' death is an illustrative way of saying that we've been identified with Jesus. Baptism is a sign of identification with the promised Messiah who has come. So Paul says that when we identify with Jesus, when we entrust ourselves to Jesus, we share in Jesus' death. He says the same thing more clearly in verse 5 when he talks about being united with him in his death. By sharing in Jesus' death, we've been freed from the penalty and the condemnation that we deserve for our rejection of God. So we saw that in Romans 5 last week. When Jesus died, we died with him and in him. But Paul here highlights another consequence of sharing in Jesus' death. So according to verse 6, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. So the purpose of sharing in Jesus' death is so that our sinful nature the sin which lives within us, so that our sinful nature might be done away with, so that we would no longer be ruled by sin and by its desires, so that we would no longer be ruled by desires contrary to God. But that's just the negative side, if you like. We died with Christ. Our sinful nature has been crucified with Him. There's also a positive side. The second reason that continuing to sin misunderstands the grace of God is that we died with Christ in order that we might also live with Christ. So verse 8, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So we not only share in Jesus' death, but also in his resurrection and the life which he lived and which he continues to live to the glory of God his Father. But those ideas of sharing in Jesus' death and in Jesus' resurrection, those 
those are not just ideas. They're not just kind of explanations of a concept. Well, isn't that nice? That's helpful to understand. We're dead. We've risen with Christ as well. They're not just ideas. They're existential realities. That is another way of saying that they are things which affect us at the very level of our existence. They are things which affect uh, us at the level of our lives. Because we were supernaturally united with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, the effects of his atoning death in our place spill over into our lives. So if we really know Jesus, then his death for sin impacts our life. Sin in our life begins to die. We cease to be the person that we were. Selfishness dies, self-interest dies, pride dies, greed dies, laziness dies, apathy dies, our love of the world dies, our love of ourselves dies. They don't all die straight away, but they're in the throes of death. They're on their way out the door. It's not possible to really know Jesus and to be left unchanged for sin to just go on as it was because we've, we've died with him. But it's not just that sin dies. Because we are supernaturally united with Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit, the effects of Jesus' powerful resurrection spill over into our lives as well. Because we really know Jesus, then his life, his love, his holiness begins to flood our lives. So our love for God grows. Our love for our brothers and sisters in Christ grows. We begin to love people that we never loved before. Our patience grows. Our gentleness grows. Our compassion grows. Our kindness grows. Our joy in God and in the gospel grows. Our self-control grows, our obedience to God grows, our obedience to our parents grows, our obedience even to the governments and the authorities that God has put in place over us, even that grows. We begin to serve God with our lives, we begin to, to make decisions which reflect God's priorities, not ours. We use our time more and more in God's service rather than just for our own self-advancement. It's not possible to really know Jesus and not have a life invaded by the life of Jesus. These are not just ideas, you see. They are things, they're metaphysical realities. They're, they're things which we, we've been supernaturally united with Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that affects us. It's not that we become perfect now, but rather sin has lost its power, its dominion. It's a spent force for those who are in Jesus, it's being beaten back, disabled and destroyed. And some of us know that. Some of us know that from experience. The changed life which comes through knowing Jesus Christ. And what a testimony that is to the power of Christ at work in our lives, at work in the lives of those around us. Uh, and what a challenge I think it is for those of us who don't see that to, to, to think, well, well actually... Maybe what I need most of all is to come to know Christ. If you don't see the death of Christ and the life of Christ at work in, in you, then you need to meet Christ. The reason we can't go in sinning, uh, says Paul, is because the grace of God and the gospel is intended to destroy sin. 
to destroy not only its condemnation, but also its power in our lives. And if we go on sinning deliberately, it shows that we failed to actually receive the grace of God in Jesus. So first Paul explains that truth. He says we need to be really clear on what the truth of the gospel actually is. And then once we have that clear understanding of the truth of the gospel, then that grounds the way that we respond and the way that we live our lives as Christians. So he continues in verse 11 with the application. So he says, in the same way... Count yourselves, reckon yourselves, think of yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So Paul is saying that what we need to do is to consider ourselves and think of ourselves according to who we are in Christ. Uh, We need to consider ourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. So first of all, we need to consider ourselves dead to sin. Well, Okay, that's, that's a good idea, but what does that mean? What does that look like? What does it uh, look like to consider ourselves day to day as dead to sin? Well, he says in verse 12, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness. He's not saying... Just pretend that there's no sin in your life when there really is. That's not what he's saying. So, you know, you're proud and angry and, and, and anxious and unbelieving. No, 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 there's no sin in my life. No, it's not happening. That's not what he's saying. Uh, what he's saying is that if you think of yourself according to the gospel as dead to sin, then you won't give sin the reins of your life. You won't give sin the control of your life. So let me give some examples. So an opportunity for unrighteous anger presents itself. Someone says something hurtful, something mean, and you feel the blood rising. You feel the anger coming on. If Jesus' death has only purchased for us forgiveness, then it won't matter if you fly off the handle and unleash the most ungodly, filthy tirade that, you've ever, that anyone in the history of the world has ever unleashed on anyone. Right? If, if all Jesus has purchased is forgiveness, then it won't matter, because you'll just go, well, God will forgive me. That's God's job, isn't it? But if, on the other hand, you think to yourself that you're dead in Christ, uh, you'll think, no, that way of life in, uh, died in me with Jesus on the cross. Or perhaps, take another example, Uh, So uh, maybe gluttony. So you could uh, keep, you know, gorging yourself. You could have another slice of cake, another ice cream, another block of chocolate. You could go out again uh, for dinner for the, you know, the 20th time in the week uh, when, frankly, you've had more than enough. You don't need it, but you want to feed that bottomless desire for more. If Jesus' death has only brought forgiveness, then it won't matter if you do that, if you gorge yourself, if you continually satisfy that desire for more and more and more. After all, you'll think to yourself, well, well God has forgives me. That's, that's God's job to forgive me. But if you think to yourself, if you consider yourself 
dead to sin in Jesus, you'll think, no, that way of life has died with Jesus on the cross. That's not my purpose anymore. My purpose is to live for Christ. But actually, to think of ourselves as dead to sin is only part of the story. We also, Paul says, need to consider ourselves alive to God. So, not just dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Well, what does that look like? What does that look like in practice? How do we consider ourselves alive to God in Christ Jesus? Well, Paul says in verse 13, Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to Him as an instrument of righteousness. That is, we not only need to stop offering ourselves to sin, we need to grow in offering ourselves to God in uh, righteousness. So, as has often been pointed out, if we only think about putting to death sin in our lives and not putting on righteousness, then the whole left by killing off the sin will just kind of be poured into with all kinds of other sins, right? So if you just kind of focus on getting rid of sin, oh, I'm going to stop being greedy, I'm going to stop being uh, gluttonous or whatever it is, then other sins just come and take the place. What we need to do is fill the absence of sin with something positive, with righteousness and holiness and the pursuit of God. So going back to the opportunity for unrighteous anger, it's not enough just to say to yourself, well, I'm not going to be angry today. I could be angry now. I'm not going to do that. You need to go on and think about how in that situation you can offer yourself to God. So you need to think, well, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. What does that look like now? Well, instead of being angry, God wants me to be patient. Okay, so I'm going to try to be patient here. Uh, Or God wants me to be kind, so I'm going to try to be kind. God wants me to believe all things. That is, God wants me to think to myself, uh, instead of thinking, what's the worst possible motivation for why this person is saying this thing to me, what I need to do is to think, what's the best possible motivation for why they might be saying that to me? Maybe they're saying it out of genuine concern. Maybe they're saying it because they love me rather than because they hate me. Or think again about the opportunity for gluttony. It's not enough just to decide not to be greedy, not to overeat. You need to go on to think about how you can offer yourself to God. So you need to think, well, I'm alive to God in Christ Jesus. God has bought me for a better life. Instead of uh, perpetual indulgence, I'm going to be generous to others. And so instead of living my life thinking about how I can feed my appetites and my desires, I'm going to think about how I can be generous to other people who can't even afford the basic necessities of life. I've had more than enough for myself and there are people starving in the world, unable to eat. I'm going to give the money that I was going to spend on dinner for myself, on another special treat. I'm going to take the money I was going to spend on my own excess and give that money to the poor. You see, we not only need to think of ourselves as dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Not only what, uh, what kind of life does God, is God calling me away from, but what kind of life is God calling me to? You see, we need to know the truth of the gospel clearly, because if we don't, we won't live it out. We won't, we'll just live out the forgiveness of God and not death in Christ and life in Christ. And knowing the gospel clearly 
we need to appropriate it every moment of the day. We need to say to ourselves, I died with Christ and I live with Christ to God's glory. So the first error that Paul addresses is misunderstanding, uh, a misunderstanding of the nature of the gospel. And the second misunderstanding that Paul addresses is a misunderstanding of the relationship between grace and the pursuit of holiness. So in verse uh, 14, Paul had said, For sin no longer shall be your master, because you're not under the law, but under grace. His point was that because we, we've died with Christ to sin and now share in the life of Jesus, sin no longer condemns us or rules us in the way that it did uh, during the period of the law in the Old Testament. So that's because... Having died with Christ, the law no longer condemns us. The penalty, that penalty has been taken away. And having been raised with Christ, we're now living out God's purposes uh, that were foreshadowed in the law, spelled out in the law, those purposes of holiness and righteousness. But Paul addresses a misunderstanding of that idea that we're not under the law. In verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin because we're not under the law but under grace? And again, he says, by no means. So people then as now misunderstood Paul to mean that not being under the law meant that personal holiness uh, and obedience to God no longer mattered. So they understood Paul to mean that seeking to obey God was either a waste of time, a kind of an unnecessary accessory. They could live however they wanted, after all. We're not under the law, but under grace. That idea uh, is regrettably all too common in our day as well. Uh, there are two movements today which uh, self-identify as one as the hyper-grace movement and another as the free grace movement, and both essentially hold to that view. That is, both essentially hold to the view that repentance, that is turning away from sin, is either an unnecessary kind of optional extra in the Christian life. Or sorry, it's either unnecessary or it's an optional extra in the Christian life. So rather than uh, letting no unwholesome talk come out of their mouths, some people are, un are happy to unleash a string of profanities, not only kind of in everyday speech, but even in their prayers to God, because it actually doesn't matter how we speak as they think, because we're not under the law but under grace. Or rather than only thinking on what's good and noble and upright and pure, some people are happy to gorge themselves on this on a constant stream of soft porn, if you like. You know, Fifty Shades of Grey, Game of Thrones, that kind of stuff. Uh, it's the same basic view which people use to endorse same-sex marriage within the church. We're not under law but under grace. So we can throw out all God's ways and we can do our own thing because God totally loves us no matter how we live. But that's wrong. Paul says that's a complete misunderstanding of the gospel. And there are more subtle ways, I think, too, which easily creep into our lives. So even though God says, don't give up meeting together and, and, and meet together more and more as the world becomes a more difficult place to live, even though God says that to us, we think it doesn't matter about being part of Sunday gatherings or joining in growth groups or joining in uh, youth group or things like that because, after all, we're not under law but under grace. 
Uh, or even though we know that the blessed and the enviable person is the one who meditates on the Lord day and night, or the person who speaks to God regularly and pours out their heart to God and, who's, uh, and the praise of God is on their lips, we think it doesn't really matter about reading the Bible every day and praying to God because we're not under law but under grace. But there is a massive difference. There is, there is daylight between the idea, between saying that we're not saved by going to church and reading our Bible, there's daylight between that and saying that those things don't matter at all. Sure, we've been adopted into God's family by grace in Jesus Christ. We're in the family. But that doesn't mean that now that we're in the family, it doesn't matter how we live there. Paul's basic answer to those kinds of errors is to say... You failed to grasp the nature of God's grace. So look at verse 16. Don't you know that when you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey, whether slaves to sin, which leads to death, or to obedience, which leads to righteousness? Paul uses uh, here the illustration of a slave and a master. And he says that whether we see it or not, we're enslaved to the things that we offer ourselves in obedience to. So if we offer ourselves and our bodies and our minds and our thoughts, if we offer those ourselves to sin, we're enslaved to sin. Sin is our master. Sin is the one who's ruling us uh, and dominating us. But if we offer ourselves and our bodies and our minds and our thoughts to God, then we're enslaved to God. God is the one who rules over us. God is the one who's, who's the master over us. All of us are serving something. The only question is, what are we serving? But Paul says in verse 17 to the Christians, but thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. The good news of the gospel is that we've been set free from slavery to one master, sin, in order that we can serve a new master, God. Sure, the law no longer condemns us, but that doesn't mean that God doesn't care how we live. God has released us from condemnation of the law in order that we might be slaves to righteousness. And here's the key point, I think. Which master that we offer ourselves in service to determines the kind of life or the results that we reap, the benefits that we reap. So verse 19. I'm using an example from everyday life because of your human limitations, because you're a bit slow, isn't it? Just direct, uh, nothing if not direct. Just as you used to offer yourselves as slaves to impurity, to ever-increasing wickedness, so now offer yourselves as slaves to righteousness leading to holiness. When you were slaves to sin, you were free from the control of righteousness. What benefit did you reap at that time from the things you are now ashamed of? That's a great question, isn't it? What is sin actually giving you? What did you get from it? Those things result in death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. That is what sin pays out at the end of, the, at the end of pay week. The, what sin pays out is death. But the gift of God, remember we don't earn it, 
the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul asks, what result came of offering themselves to sin? The answer is death. And what result comes from offering themselves to God? The result is holiness and life. The question then is this. Why would you offer yourself to an abusive master who beats you, kicks you, and takes advantage of you? Why wouldn't you rather offer yourself to God and serve Christ, who is a loving master, a compassionate master, a master who gives life and love and hope and joy? The only benefit we get back from serving sin is death. Living death now, that is an empty life now, a painful life now, and eternal death in the future. And the benefit we get from serving Christ is life, real life now, the life that we were destined to live, and eternal life in the future. All of us are serving something. And if it's not God, whatever it is that we're serving will destroy us. If it is God, he will bring life and joy. So let me give an example of something which, according to the statistics, uh, is utterly rife in churches and which is enslaving people and destroying people all over the world. So according to the statistics, 64% of Christian men and 15% of Christian women say that they access porn at least once a month. That's astonishing, 64% and 15%. And the irony is that porn promises freedom and joy when it actually delivers precisely the opposite. The truth is that people are enslaved to it. They're serving a master which is controlling their lives. They're serving a master which promises happiness, but which is destroying happiness. They're serving a master which is destroying their marriage, whether the marriage that they're in at the moment, or if they're single, the marriage that they will be in in the future. They're serving a master which is decimating their relationship with God. They're enslaved to a master which is killing them. And people are genuinely enslaved, actually. And what's true of that sin is actually true of every other sin. It's true of pride and greed and self-interest. It's true of laziness. It's true of indifference. We're offering ourselves to those things as their slaves and they are destroying us. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of Stockholm Syndrome. Stockholm Syndrome is the name given to a very real phenomenon where people who have been taken hostage develop feelings, positive feelings, toward their captors, such as sympathy and even in some cases gratitude. The name Stockholm Syndrome comes from a group of bank workers who were taken hostage for six days in Stockholm in the 1970s. And by the end of that six-day siege, the hostages had a kind of starry-eyed optimism with respect to their captors. One of the hostages even said that he felt gratitude when one of his captors told him that he would shoot him in order to show the police how serious they were about their demands. Extraordinary, isn't it? 
As human beings, it often seems that we live in a kind of Stockholm syndrome with relationship to sin. Sin has taken us captive. It's killing us. It's destroying us. It's beating us. It's making us miserable. It's destroying our relationships. It's destroying our relationship with God. It's destroying our world, our environment. And yet we keep serving it. Keep being grateful to it. Keep honouring it. Keep giving ourselves over to it. Why shouldn't we go on sinning if we're not under the law? The answer is because grace has rescued us to serve a better master. God's grace has rescued us to serve him. And why would you give yourself up to a master who's killing you rather than a master who's giving you life and joy? Serving God in Christ is full of life and full of joy and full of happiness and full of contentment and full of love and full of hope and full of satisfaction and full of purpose and full of goodness and full of truth. So if you've not come to Christ yet and you're enslaved to sin, let me urge you to take hold of Christ and to die with him to sin, and to live with him to righteousness. And if you are a Christian, and you've misunderstood and misheard the gospel, if you're stuck in sin, if you've stumbled and you've fallen, and you're stuck in that mire of slavery to sin, then let me urge you to die with Christ to sin. And to live with Christ in righteousness for God. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, there might be some people here this morning who are still locked up in sin. Some people who are still living every day, giving themselves up to the wrong master. Some people... Uh, who are giving themselves up to a master who is destroying them. Perhaps they've been sitting in church for years and not really grasped the good news that Jesus triumphs over sin in every way. Lord, you know who those people are. Please enable them to give their lives to you in Christ and to entrust their lives to you in Christ. Please crucify them with Christ and raise them up with him by your powerful Holy Spirit. Make them to share in Jesus' atoning death and his powerful resurrection life. And Lord, for those of us who are in Christ, help us to live every day out of that reality. Help us to live every day as dead to sin and alive in Christ Jesus. Help us to stop offering ourselves to sin, but to instead offer ourselves to you for righteousness in Jesus Christ. Give us the joy that comes from that. The joy of following Christ, of trusting him completely, of obeying his commands, of sharing in his love for you, and in walking in love just as he loved us and gave himself up for us. Give us this grace, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.